This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 31st, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. If you look at the foreign policy record of Joe Biden, it's hard to find consistency. And yet he's running against someone with a general foreign policy that Cato's Emma Ashford characterizes as, in a sense, right message, wrong messenger. Okay, well, so let's start with the good news, um, which is that almost anything would be better than the way the Trump administration has been handling foreign policy at the moment. Um, It's not a good approach to the world. It's over-militarized. It uses sanctions too much. It isn't getting any results. Um, And it's done by tweet and destructive and badly managed and incompetent. And so all of that together in a nutshell is the Trump administration's foreign policy. Um, And so almost anything would be better than that. So that's the good news. Um, The bad news is, um, as you kind of alluded to there, um, that the Biden campaign, from what we can tell from the advisors, from what the campaign has put out um, in terms of sort of policies, um, looks like they're going to try and take us sort of back to what American foreign policy used to look like before Trump. They're not going to try and forge something new and better. They're going to go back to that sort of liberal internationalist approach to the world, um, you know, where America is the indispensable nation and we try to solve every problem ourselves. Um, and um, that's, that's a little unfortunate, right? Because one thing Trump has given us is this opportunity to actually question that model. And Biden seems determined to sort of take us back to it instead. So by questioning that model where the U.S. is at the table, no matter where the table is, um, you know, what would have been what what opportunity did that present? What should we have taken from the, the Trump presidency to say, hey, you know, this isn't going so well, but, you know, we ought to think more about how the U.S. engages with the world. Yeah, so um, so I wouldn't even frame it as, um, you know, the U.S. shouldn't be at the table. I, I believe we firmly should be at the table. Um, but what we shouldn't be doing is saying that every problem in the world is America's to solve. Um, and quite frankly, the way we've done for the last couple of decades, every problem is America's to solve with our military, because that's how we've approached the world. Um, and so what Donald Trump has done um is question some of those assumptions. You know, you go back to the campaign and he was the only Republican on stage and he was saying, hey, we've got to get out of these stupid wars. The Iraq war was a mistake. What the heck are we doing in the Middle East? Um, And he said that. Then, of course, he, you know, sent more troops to those wars and opened up more fronts. Um, But he did actually question that assumption. Um, If you look at something like NATO spending, right? Donald Trump said, well, why is the US paying the lion's share in NATO? And that's a really good point. There's there's not a particularly good reason for us to do that anymore. Um, of course, Trump then sort of turned around and started, you know, arguing with Angela Merkel and withdrawing troops from Germany randomly and sending them to Poland. And so, but again, he questioned that assumption um, and we could have taken it in a more productive direction. So that's just a couple of examples. But there's quite a lot of places where Donald Trump has um, looked at foreign policy and looked at it sort of with with new eyes, right? Because he doesn't really think about foreign policy generally. Um, and he said, hey, this consensus is just crazy. Why are we doing this? Um, and if we could just capitalize on that moment and, and all those questions, American foreign policy would be in a better place. Is it so the risk then is that we don't get to question these things because the foreign policy matched with otherwise a couple of very reasonable impulses uh, those things are wetted together and we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? 
I think there's certainly a risk of that, particularly in some areas. Um, we've seen a very reflexive push, um, particularly within the Democratic Party, um, to take a more hawkish line on Russia. Um, you know, because Trump was perceived as being friendly with Putin. Um, that's not necessarily the reality, but there was very much this impression. And there's still questions about, you know, corruption and contacts with Russia. And so the Democratic Party turned around and took a fairly hawkish approach to Russia as, as a result. Um, and then there's a few other areas, right? So we've seen Democrats repeatedly express support for, you know, rebuilding Americans, American alliances, strengthening American alliances, um, you know, even though sort of some of the burden sharing that Trump was suggesting is something that previous Democratic presidents have also suggested. So I think there is a risk, particularly in some areas, that we see a backlash that ends up having the opposite results of, of what we might hope, just because Trump is sort of right message, wrong messenger. Uh, with respect to Biden, um, he likes to tout his foreign policy credentials. Uh, the the highlight at least from my perspective of his time as vice president, was being the voice against surging troops into Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, so Joe Biden has a very long history in foreign affairs. Um, you know, uh, I actually kind of like to point this one out. He was on the first congressional delegation to China after Nixon went to China. So that is how long that Joe Biden has been actively involved in foreign policy. And he was on Senate foreign relations when he was in Congress um, and, and has a, lo a lot of experience. But his experience is really mixed, right? Some of it, um, like he argued against the surge in Afghanistan, he argued against the Obama era intervention in Libya. Right. So those are good things. Um, but he also voted for the war in Iraq. Um, he's repeatedly suggested that we should partition Iraq, um, which seems to be just sort of a pet thing he, he has uh, that he likes to think about. Um, and so for every kind of good decision that he's made, there's one on the opposite side of the ledger. So I think if you were to compare him, say, to Hillary Clinton, his record is less consistent. Uh, or less consistently bad. And that does offer some hope, I think, for, for a more restrained foreign policy. But you can't look at Joe Biden's record um, and see any kind of consistently restrained approach to foreign policy. Who's on the bench when it comes to foreign policy for Joe Biden? Is there anyone that you see as promising? There's um, a bunch of people. Biden actually already has a substantial foreign policy apparatus. Um, I've heard anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 uh, foreign policy experts involved in working groups producing papers and stuff for the campaign. So this is a, this is a huge infrastructure. Um, but at the top of sort of that pyramid, um, there's a bunch of people, most of whom served in the Obama administration, um, some of whom were various national security advisor positions to Biden when he was in that administration or when he was in Congress. So people um, like Jake Sullivan, um, who was his national security advisor, um, and who's currently, I believe, up at Yale. Um, so he is a very, um, he's a very thoughtful uh, person on foreign policy, but he does very much subscribe to the view of sort of American exceptionalism and um, American sort of liberal internationalism around the world. The same goes for Tony Blinken, who used to be Biden's Senate aide, and those are probably his two most senior um, advisors. Um, but there's there's a variety of others on the campaign. Um, and then there's the sort of people that are not really active on the campaign, but are associated with it. So um, Michelle Flournoy 
for example. Um, she is a think tanker and a strategic consultant in Washington. She was repeatedly suggested that if Hillary Clinton won, she'd be the Secretary of Defense. Um, and the same is being suggested for a Biden administration, I think, because she has the potential to be the first female Secretary of Defense. Unfortunately, she's extremely hawkish on foreign policy. Um, she suggested just the other day that the US needs to build up the capacity to sink the whole Chinese Navy in 72 hours. Um, so there's a range of opinion within the Biden camp is is the point I'm trying to make. Um, but there are very few consistent voices for restraint, um, at least within his current set of advisors. Is this a broader problem for Democrats uh, than just Joe Biden? That is, he was the nominee and poor Tulsi Gabbard did not get a speaking spot despite her delegates to uh, she did not get a spot to speak at the Democratic National Convention at all. She didn't. Um, and Gabbard, I, I think, is a, is actually a fairly poor voice for restraint, in part because some of her positions are, um, let's, let's just say, extremely unorthodox. Um, and some of them are a little disturbing, frankly. Some of her uh, sort of relations towards Hindu nationalist groups and, and, and sort of the Syrian government and things like that are all a little concerning. Um, but I, I don't think it's necessarily um, a central problem for the Democratic Party. Um, if you actually look at the primary process this year and look at the debates, um, there was a, a huge amount of debate on foreign policy, um, which is a, a surprise, first of all. This is not normally something we see in primaries. And there was also a huge amount of actual debate. Um, there were differences of opinion. Um, you know, you saw Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren pushing forward with these very progressive, restrained visions of foreign policy. Um, you saw uh, some of the others on the stage pushing forward a much more classic um, democratic, liberal, internationalist foreign policy. So there is um, a variety of opinions within the Democratic Party. Um, there are a number of people that worked on these other campaigns that the Biden campaign could tap if they wanted to bring some of those ideas on board. Yeah, it was striking to me during the the primaries to hear Elizabeth Warren, at least in uh, a couple of her speeches, openly agreeing with the president on uh, his position on the notion of endless war. Yeah, um, and it was actually fairly widely um, sort of agreed across the debate stage in the Democratic debates. Um, I think almost every Democrat accepts um, that there has to be some reining in, particularly of the, the counterterrorism, endless wars um, part of foreign policy. Um, what I worry about is that um, Biden has sort of said a few of the same things, um, but it's sort of, if you look at his advisors, you look at what the campaign has put out, a lot of it is just very general. There's no real details. Um, and it's not clear to me that he wouldn't just just kind of continue the status quo if he was elected. Emma Ashford is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>